Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Uh, let me just congratulate you for getting through the divisional series into the uh, American League. National League. National League. Got it wrong. Uh, great win for the Phillies tonight uh, against a, a Braves team that we all probably thought was going to be a bridge too far for them. But once again, the Phillies proved to be in the offseason a potent force. In the postseason. Uh, what? What did you just, you, you just said off season, didn't you? Oh, yeah, off season. Excuse take, me. I'm should we over. just start over? Take two, everybody. No, 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 no. We're fine. Andrew, just, just, uh, Congratulations to you. If there's anything you want to say before we start talking soccer, say it right now. Uh, I feel way different than I did the other night. Clearly. <laughs> did I tell you you would? Yeah, you did. You did. I, I'll just say that that like that Braves team is so good. And like playing them in the regular season, um, like you come away from games against them and just be like, how do you beat this team? I don't and the Phillies always played them tough. Every game was close, but the Braves, it seems like, always found a way. And it's just like, I don't know how you beat them. And then at the end of this game tonight, Nick Castellanos, when they interviewed him, which was a very weird but classic Nick Castellanos interview. Um, but he said, I'm learning. And they asked him, like, what he's learned. And he basically was like, I'm learning that the regular season and postseason are two very different things. And it's so true. And, like, I, I don't – I can't entirely explain it. The Braves had the best – one of the best offenses. I mean, there's certain metrics that you can measure offense by that's that tell you had the, they had the best offense since the 31 Yankees with Ruth and Gehrig. And like they scored seven runs in four games and the Phillies pitching is fine. It's good. But this Braves offense is all time. Uh, the, the postseason is weird. It's amazing. I love it. Even when my team's not involved, we've talked in past years on this podcast yeah. when October rolls around, we talk about how baseball's postseason is just the tension of it's it is just the best. And God, that was, I love beating that team. My God, do I, for, for all the horror I've experienced in like Sixers Celtics, I've come on after many a, a Sixers Celtics series on this podcast and been in a horrible mood for all the, the terrible feelings I felt after some of those rivalries in the playoffs, the, the Phillies and Braves rivalry for me has more than made up for it. These games are, I don't know, the Phillies have never lost them in the playoffs and the Braves have had some incredible teams that they faced. Uh, I, Ah, oh, I'm so glad it's not over. I was not yeah, ready and, for this. I love this team so much. I was not ready for this to be over. But anyway. Ever since we left ESPN, you have put my my sleep cycle through the absolute ringer. Yeah, uh, you're the real the loser here because now you have you have to continue navigating these games. Like, I don't know. This this weekend, I was already looking at it. So the Philly, the game one is on Monday night. And I was like, all right, well, I guess we'll record Sunday. Um, which, I, I, you know what? I, I think Sunday night could work. The Eagles play at 425. I think we're in the clear. Well, heaven forbid I might have anything on myself. You know. Unbelievable. I'm, 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 you know, you have to do something nice for me. I do stuff nice to. for you all the time. Last thing you, you did really nice for me. Name it. Uh, got your your newborn some beautiful gifts. No, gifts for her don't count. <laughs> something for you personally? Yeah. I'll tell you who I want to do before we get into the meat of the pod. Yeah, tell you who I want to do something nice for mm-hmm. Scott McTominay in Scotland. Like another example of where we need to just take VAR, put it in the trash can, put gasoline in on it, set it on fire, 
and then throw it into a river. Obviously, we won't throw it into a river because we're very, very environmentally conscious, but we need to get rid of this. I mean, Scotland got absolutely, you know, on, on, on the general run of play, battered by Spain tonight. Um, but they were nil-nil. And in the 70-something minute, McTominay pulls off this absolutely worldy of a free kick, a dart from an angle out on the left-hand side. Um, just just buries it past Unai Simon. And it's ruled out. Uh, as Robin Barnier uh uh, tweeted, let's be clear, the referee has allowed the goal for a foul. Here's the still. If it was offside, it would have been an indirect free kick, i.e. his arm would be straight in the air. To claim it's offside is pure revisionism from UEFA. So everyone's like scrambling around. Why is this being ruled out after the referee's gone to the television? And he's disallowed it for um, for a foul. And then UEFA said, no, 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 it's it's because of offside. And like the offside is impossible to say. Um, but the foul, if that's what the, you know, I mean, if that is what he did rule it out for on the field. Andrew, if I gently caressed your cheek with the back of my hand, it would be less, it would be more rather aggressive than what happened. Mm -hmm. The Scottish player, I think it was Armstrong, literally stands in front of Simon and Simon makes no attempt to play the ball and it flies into the top corner. It's a disgrace. Now, Spain go on, they get two goals um, and they win it 2-0. But I mean, it's lucky Scotland are in such a strong position in the group, but I just I just feel terrible. And, I, you know. Yeah, and, and I believe Andy Robertson also was forced off with an injury, which affects them and, and Liverpool. Don't even, and it's a shoulder. Mm. And I just, if I was to list my problematic joints uh, to recover from, shoulder is one of them. I... I I don't know. I haven't got a full debrief on, on what what exactly is 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 the issue there, but they, very they very. They haven't debriefed you yet. No, I haven't got a call from Jurgen. He usually calls me in the morning with his okay. cup of coffee. Um. So yeah, and it's and it's uh, it's morning his time as well. So it's a real early call. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, tough one for uh for the Scots, but like you said, they are still in good position. Great um, position, but can never take anything for granted necessarily. That that's a tough one because. They thought maybe they they could have had it, um, yeah. Uh, this should be uh this should be a fun podcast. Obviously, it's uh, midweek of an international break. We'll look ahead to the U.S. and Germany. Um, Eden Hazard, uh, a legend, retired, but kind of leaves in his wake and sort of a complex legacy. So we'll go through some of that. Uh, a little bit of a impromptu mailbag, JJ. I kind of went through. I hadn't been I hadn't been among the animals in a while. Um, I went back in there and uh, grabbed some of the stuff that they that they've put up recently. There's some really good stuff in there, so we'll go through some of that. And maybe the thing that I'm most excited for the other night when we left, uh, you challenged me. You were like, "Oh, you know, how about you finish the Beckham doc before the next podcast, and we'll be able to talk." Yeah. About it. I said, "Are you crazy? No chance. I can't get through that in the next two or three days. I'm too busy." Well, here we are, JJ. I, I put one on the other night, and I couldn't stop. I watched till one in the morning. I couldn't stop watching. I enjoyed it that much. Uh, and so I did finish and I think you did as well. And so we'll, we'll talk about that later. Cause uh, I thought it was, I thought it was, there were some parts of it that were really interesting that I would love to get some of uh, your perspective on. Yeah, so that... no, I, I'm, I'm really happy to talk about it. And I don't think I'm going to, I'm not going to usually uh, my, my trademark is not liking things that everybody else likes. Yeah. Well, I, I did enjoy it. If with caveats, Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so yeah, 
I'm looking forward to that. That should be a fun, fun conversation. Um, but let's start, JJ. Like I said, it is international break. And uh, the U.S. have, as far as friendlies go, pretty pretty high profile one this coming weekend, the Saturday up in Connecticut against the Germans, JJ. Um, so the question I think on everybody's mind leading into a USA-Germany friendly, because the, the, the matchup is so high profile, but the word friendly is so hard to escape uh, in that sentence. And I think everybody is sort of wondering, okay, so how important is a game like this? What is, what is it that we're supposed to take from this? How should I view this? Um, I saw this tweet from uh, at tactical manager, um, very active, very active us Twitter account. Jesus Uh, Christ, that guy. Yeah. Not the biggest bear halter fan I've ever seen. Um, Yeah. And I'm not the biggest fan of him. Some of it is pure. uh, what I would say uh, quitter diarrhea. Oh, oh my, this is, this is all, this is all JJ. I would never say opinions that are are so hurtful. It's fine. Um, so anyway, uh, he writes, in relation to what I'm talking about, he said the result of the USMNT match against Germany this Saturday is the least important aspect of this match. How we right. play as a team and individually is what truly matters. A narrow loss with signs of improvement would be far more beneficial than a scrappy or lucky one nil win. Yeah, I'll agree with that. But... I think the I think that probably is the way I think most fans should feel about that. Uh, uh, it, but in the in 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 the final analysis, it doesn't matter. This game does not matter at all. It's good to. I, what it is good is like we were always looking to try and get um, games against top European opposition. I know the Germans are in a bit of a funny position, but they are still the Germans, so it's it's a good it's a good game to get. Um, and you don't want to be the team that sets them right. Like they're in this no. bad moment, and it's like let's not be the ones that they get right against. Well, no, and I think I think that's what you have a question. What are you hoping to see from the US? One of the things is against a confidence drain Germany, can the USA create chances and be be ruthless? Because that's the one question about this US team that you'd take out of the World Cup. If you look at the England game and you look at the Dutch game, these were the games of where the opposition was of the highest quality. And I know they, they didn't beat the Welsh either and they should have, but you know, you could argue in some respects, maybe not the England game so much, but the, the Dutch game that they weren't they weren't ruthless when they needed to be and they seemed a little bit off that level of opposition. And so you're hoping that there's some kind of improvement there. And also we kind of, we struggle with the final pass or the pass before the final pass. Mm-hmm. And it, you'd like to see a kind of more fluidity of attack and play um, and whoever gets their chance to be to be ruthless. And also there's... There's the, how would I put it? There's the the Tyler Adams question. You know, there's a chance that we have to be able to plan regularly for not having him. Um, he's, a, he's had a setback with his hamstring injury. He's not going to be there. So, you know, what? how does Greg reconfigure things without probably his most important player? Sure. So there's all those things. But it's it does not matter. It's like it doesn't... You you'd have to be careful, and and again, the the game state matters. Um, if if the managers start making substitutions on the hour, mass substitutions on the hour, that that really does hurt the game. Uh, if they don't, and they allow it to be a back and forth kind of uh, kind of a game, a, a proper competitive game, then then maybe you can take something from it. But 
I'd worry about that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Weston McKinney, he spoke about this. He said that this is a, basically a great opportunity for this U.S. team to see where they're at. Mm. Um, and so that's next summer. That's well, next summer. Maybe. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yes, obviously next summer is, is a far greater indicator of that when every when, when everybody's out there playing in, in anger. The games that mm-hmm. really matter, the score matters. And this this is obviously not that. And I can't speak to how Germany is going to approach this. But I would say this. Um, if they're if you're the US, you I, I do think that you have to treat this game with a degree of seriousness that you wouldn't necessarily treat a normal friendly. Because if you think about what this what the calendar looks like for them between now and the next World Cup, there are not <laughs> There's just not many games of, of real opportunity to get a sense of where you're at. Now, like you said, the Copa America will be one. And I'm I'm hopeful that at the next Gold Cup, a couple of summers from now, they'll treat that more seriously than the last couple of Gold Cups with their B and C squad. I hope that the A squad would would play. Um, but with no World Cup qualifying, you know, you all of a sudden limit your ability to find out just where your team is at and how good you are and and what you need to improve upon. So some of these friendlies, a friendly against Germany, you have to take advantage of. JJ, Paul Tenorio has a really interesting article up at The Athletic. And he's basically saying that, like, friendly or not, U.S. and Germany this weekend, people, U.S. fans out there need to appreciate the U.S. playing a high-quality opponent, even if Germany is in a a moment of struggle, because the opportunities for it are almost gone. Here's what he says. He writes, The advent of the Nations League competitions has made cross-continental competition more challenging than it used to be in international soccer. It's one of the reasons why the U.S. played Asian opponents Uzbekistan and Oman last month. For the U.S., that presents a problem. World Cup hosts qualify automatically for the tournament, meaning there will be no qualifying tournament provide do-or-die games, even against some countries perceived as weaker. That means intentionally scheduling quality matches is even more important. And he goes on to say, JJ, that if if you remove international obligations that we already know about, like the CONCACAF Nations League, Copa America, and Gold Cup, the U.S. only has nine international windows to schedule friendlies between now and that World Cup. And if you look, he has a whole calendar, basically, for the whole world. It's, It's really good stuff. You should check it out if you have a subscription to The Athletic. But UEFA, there's no crossover availability, essentially, until March of 2026. They're tied up with Euros or World Cup qualifying or Nations League. So UEFA is pretty much out until March of 26. CONMEBOL has a window in June of 24. But Copa America starts like two weeks after that. So are we going to schedule a friendly against Brazil or Argentina two weeks before playing them in a major tournament? No. Asia, nothing till June of 25. Africa, nothing till September of 25. So like there's not, there are not, a bountiful opportunity to play high quality opposition if you're the U.S. So no. I don't know how Germany's going to approach it, but the U.S. I think the opportunities are so few and far between for them to play these kinds of opponents. They got to take it seriously. Well, you're hoping because you know Germany obviously have Nagelsmann at the helm now, um, and, and Germany need to because they're they're hosting the next Euros. They need to they need to turn things around. Yeah, they need to basically because they, they don't have the qualifying games themselves, need to really click into gear quickly. So they'll probably take this more seriously um, than ordinarily they would have in the past. Uh, the The point that Paul Tenorio makes is 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 a valid one, and it, it is basically... <laughs> the Nations League, I don't know how successful it is. I think in a way it has been successful in making those international windows better that they weren't weren't just friendlies, but 
Um, it's definitely hurt the US and their, the availability of top quality opposition. Also, having the Winter World Cup has congested the calendar so much, the sure. qualifying calendar. Like, this is just, it, it, it's hard. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe I'm wrong when I say, you know, this won't matter. This doesn't matter. I genuinely don't think friendlies matter at all. You can't make them competitive. You just can't. But you're hoping that the attitude of the Germans will be met with a similar attitude by the US and you have a game that at least gives Bearhalter some kind of barometer, if not of where where they're at. Maybe nothing as grandiose as that, but maybe where where some of his players are, what some of his options are. I mean, I do think that, you know, Bearhalter has drilled into this team this sort of mantra of changing perceptions. You know, we want the world to see this and- soccer program differently than what they've seen it as before. And you know, whether you and I can sit here and say, well, those perceptions don't change in a friendly, but this team may not believe that if Bearhalter can convince them that, look, friendly or not, this is Germany. People pay attention to to the Germans when they play. They got a new manager. You all know the players on that team. They're all stars. You know, th- if we do want to, if we do, in fact, want to change perceptions, then I don't care if this is a friendly. You beat them. They're not playing great right now. We think that we're of that caliber. If they're down, we beat them. So yeah, he, I do agree. he could drill that into their minds. Yeah, I do agree with that element of it. Like, you know, they're there. To, they're, they are low, really, really low. And like you said, don't be the team that gives them their comeback. Don't let them give you like a 4-1 or a 3-1 hammering. Don't let them do that to you. Yeah. Um, now, conversely, team- JJ, let me ask you, if the U.S. did that to them, like you're saying, like, ah, and I mostly agree with you. Friendlies, I don't, I don't hmm. know what to make from them. Um, but if the U.S., if it was the reverse, if the U.S. pound them, if it's 4-0, Pulisic scores a brace, Balogun grabs one, you know, mm. if, it, if it looks a little bit like that U.S.-Mexico Nations League semifinal, would, would that do anything for you? If this um, is a barometer like Weston McKinney is telling us that it is? Uh, I mean, again, it would. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine... If if those if the goals that were scored were like these these really good patterns of play that the kind of thing we've been looking for the link up offensive play yeah, I, yeah like it would it would do something for me All sure right. um I just you know I have scar tissue from 2015 where we went to your battered Holland and battered Germany and then well, it everything didn't was batter those were I mean those were incredible finishes right didn't well, Bobby Wood score the, two in like stoppage yeah. time or the way you talk the way you talk to U.S. fans afterwards I remember I was like bit of a negative Nelly about it. I remember the abuse I got on Twitter, you know, being a Euro snob. What did yeah. I know? Blah, you blah, didn't, blah. you didn't read the room. No, I didn't read the room. They, they were, the next... those games were fun. We all knew they were friendlies, but we wanted to have fun with them and you mm. wouldn't let us have fun. No, there. And you remember it. Well, a lot was extrapolated into it. And then the next thing we're losing two nil away in Guatemala in a World Cup qualifier. And then everyone's like, it's still fine. It's still fine. We're still good. We're still good. Until we're not good, and we anyway. Point being, I I, I approached them with a bit more, wow, more you, caution. You look, really it's... took that to a dark place, uh, in the week of the anniversary, no less. I know of the, of the Trinidad match. How are you commemorating, Andrew? <laughs> uh, I'll never forget that night. And we if talked we about to, it a little bit on the last pod. If we were to commemorate, we'd meet up. We'd bring our laptops. And we would stare at them for about 45 minutes. And then we'd go home. In, in silence. That's what yeah. it was. That was. 
That was truly, truly horrifying. And the next day, I remember <laughs> Copa 90, um, who I did a little bit, bit of work for like before they went defunct in 2017 and 2018. They're calling me, yeah, can we film on your rooftop? Uh, Aaron Aaron West is going to come over and we're going to we're going to talk about why we didn't qualify for the World Cup and I'm like shattered absolutely shattered I barely slept that night it was it was so seismic anyway yeah. anyway anyway we've 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 drifted we've drifted uh, there there was a sketch show Andrew and it was very bizarre it was called the fast show and it was from England yeah we've talked and about this yeah, they had one character. I don't. Did, did I show you the video? And he's this painter, and he's with his wife, and uh, it's the same scenario every time they'd find themselves in this beautiful landscape in a field in Devon or uh-huh. on a cliff. I've seen it like this. Maybe you know the 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 wife would go, "Beautiful day, Johnny. Oh, absolutely gorgeous. I'm just can't believe the beautiful green, the verdant green, and the the, the seagulls above. It's it's absolutely amazing." Yes, it really is, Johnny. It's quite beautiful. It is beautiful. Not a cloud in the sky, although over to the left, it seems a little bit darker, Johnny. A little bit almost almost getting quite, quite Johnny. Black, black, black like my soul. And he starts destroying his <laughs> easel and having a meltdown. And he had it every time he said black. And that descent for us is exactly what happens when we talk about <laughs> Yeah, we started yeah. with, you know, maybe we'll beat Germany 4-0. Oh, remember that one time we beat him in stoppage time in a friendly? Oh, yeah. Remember what happened a few months later? Oh, yeah. Remember a few years after that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Black. Black, Black like my soul. <laughs> now, for context, I'm going to have to post that video on X. Yeah. So go to our X at CO Soccer Pod <laughs> to, uh, tomorrow or whenever you listen to the podcast. And I will try and put up some videos of Johnny. Johnny, no. <laughs> oh, that poor guy. Um, yeah. In terms of just a couple, don't want to go too deep here. We'll obviously do a little bit of a, a recap of this after it happens. But just in terms of some of the specific things that I'd be looking for, I mean, look, here we go. Like you said, Tyler Adams, not in this squad. And guess who's fit? Old Gio Reyna. I think we're going to get a healthy dose of him. I, I, see no, I see no world, JJ, where that midfield is not in some way comprised of McKinney, Musa, and Reyna. I think that's be what hilarious. you're going to be hilarious if he only got three minutes across the two friendlies. If, it if, would be if absolute... Greg was just like, if this was like a long con by Greg to get back at him, like now that he's got the job, yeah, I'm going to say all the right things and then do all the right, and then just like go right back to <laughs> just never letting him play. I'm going to ruin you. Amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. It would be so, so funny. But I think um... we'll see him. I think we'll see him. And I, I'm sure that won't. I'm sure every single interaction he has with Bearhalter won't be overanalyzed at all. No, no, it won't be. There'll be, you know, Bearhalter likes to. I don't know. He's 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 a kind of a fairly tactile coach. Mm-hmm. Like, does that change now? Will he put his arms around his shoulders? And you know, you know, coaches that put their arm around them when they're explaining to a player where where they go, what they want. Yeah, like. Are I don't know. See that? I don't know. But I'll tell you right now. And by the way, I don't mean for my tone to be making fun of those who overanalyze it. JJ, I will be. I will have a a magnifying glass out. I will be standing up against the TV. I will be examining eye contact at all times. Like you said, physical. Will he hug? 
Will there be a, a high five? All of these things. They're all going to be examined. I'll have a full report for you on our next pod. What's the most hilarious thing? I think the most hilarious thing is he brings him on. Um, and as he brings him on, he gives him a massive slap on the bum. Mm-hmm. Like a big slap on the butt. Like the old school ones used to see. Sure. Boom. Oh, what? You I think mean, that, to- that's the funniest thing that he could do? Because it would completely diffuse the tension. Nothing, there's nothing like it was the weirdest thing that ever happened to me. I remember I was U14 uh, and I was coming on in a game and the coach was like, I knew all my life as well. And and, and patting butts is a completely kind of normal thing in, in male sports. Mm. Smack on the butt. Or it used to be, probably isn't anymore. You used to see it in films all the time. You see it in the NFL. And the next thing he goes, right, go in there, give it everything. Whack on the arse. Ugh. And I was nervous going on. And then I completely lost my nerves because I just got hit in the ass. Yeah. All right. I think personally, the funniest thing, if Geo starts, um, if Greg, if like, let's say Reyna like misplaces a pass or something and like Greg subs him out in like the 19th minute, yanks him right, right then in the first half, gone. <laughs> I think that would, uh, I'm not sure if that would diffuse the tension in the same way as Pat and Butts would, but uh, uh, it'd be funny. I don't know. It would be funny. It would create some anyway. great content, and that's what we're here for. So, yeah, obviously, I will be, I will be with a fine tooth comb going through all Bearhalter Reina reactions. Um, also, too, uh, I'm intrigued. No Anthony Robinson for this one. There's a little bit of fitness concern, so they're not going to take any chances with that. Um, so, yeah, it's a chance to see a little bit. Like left back has not been a position of depth really for the U.S. Probably going to be another opportunity for uh, for Christopher Lund. Uh, the uh, 21-year-old from Palermo who recently committed to the U.S. So I'll be I'll, I'll be curious about his performance. And then more than anything, JJ, what I started talking about during the uh, the last international break, you know my antenna is up for what's going on at that number nine position. Now it's Balogun's. He is the starter, and that is unquestioned right now in my mind. And he's off to a good start for the most part with Monaco. Five appearances, uh, three goals. Um, in three starts, he's got two missed penalties as well. He probably should have five goals. Um, mm. So, like, he's the guy. He's the starter, and I feel I feel good about that. However, like I talked about in the last break, Pepe has shown me something, that he is up for this challenge. The way he's answered the call of both being left off the World Cup squad, uh, Balogun entering the fray, you know, those were a couple hammer blows to Ricardo Pepe, and he has risen to the occasion and has played some of his best soccer, it feels like, for this team recently since those things have happened. So it's Balogun's job, but they'll both have opportunities. Pepe will get in there and he'll have a chance. And I'm I'm, I'm kind of, you know, not that I'm rooting for one or the other, but I like seeing Pepe rise to the occasion the way that he has, whereas some guys would pout, be angry, you know, not want to be a part of this anymore. He has been the total, his attitude is just like the total opposite. And I like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to watch uh, the two of them continue to kind of jockey for position over who the number nine should be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam Fells in Deadspin was talking about what kind of, you know, a lot of this, like we said already, not to labor the point is going to, is going to be based on what Germany bring. Um, And he says that's in question. On the one hand, they haven't really stopped about having to fly over to the States for a couple of friendlies in the middle of a season. And we may just get 90 minutes of pouting and avoiding injury. That that uh, would be that would be unfortunate. That, that, that is a distinct possibility, I'm afraid. Um, but nevertheless, um, 
Matt Hummels had this to say, they are a really young team. They have an expected uh, start, uh, starting 11 way younger than we are. I know a lot of the players, the deve- development of the US team in soccer is really big. Okay. So Sally Field. Yeah. Bit That's of validation there from, from Matt. That's yeah. all we needed. That's all we ever wanted was a little bit of validation. Make I'm excited to talk ourselves. about Eden Hazard. I am. I'm, oh. I'm on ten. I'm on tender hooks here. I've got another thirty minutes of preview for this. I'm sorry. I'm I can't. Not... I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's let's leave this one behind and let's go to Eden Hazard, JJ, who, um, I guess somewhat stunningly, at age 32, has said, "I'm good. Bye." Calls it a career, and leaves in his wake a fascinating legacy. Now, before we get to that, let, let's start with a trivia question because this was brought to my attention earlier this week and I think it's I think it's a great, it's just a great piece of Premier League trivia. Um, so he's, he's one of four Premier Leaguers that has had a 15 plus goal, 15 plus assist season, which is really fantastic stuff. Um, he's one of four, JJ, who've done it in the Premier League. Can you name the other three? Say that, ask me the question again. Four guys in the Premier League era Mm -hmm. had a season consisting of at least 15 goals and 15 assists. Okay. Hazard is one of them. In 2018-19, he had a 16-15 season. Okay. Who who were the other three with with a a 15-15 season? Okay. Mo Salah? No. Damn it. Steven Gerrard? No. Good Lord. Thierry Henry? There you go. 24 and 20 in 0203. Ridiculous. That's outrageous. Ridiculous. Um Wow. God, I'm struggling now. Luis Suarez. No. I should ah. specify that uh you can guess non-Liverpool players. And I have. Salah, Gerard. When Suarez. did Henri play for Liverpool? Don't get clever. Milner. <laughs> Go on, give me the rest of them. I'll give you a clue. Oh, Cantona, Eric Cantona. Yep, there you go. That's one of them. In 92-93, he had a 15-16 season. You got one more. Mid-90s. Mid-90s. It's not yep. Shearer. Well, what is this? It's not. You always do this. That's Definitely cheating. not Shearer. And it it's a player who's brilliant, but for some reason I feel like flies under the radar when you talk about great Premier League players. Andrew Cole. No. Oh. oh here we go. Matt Letizia. Yes, you did it. You did it. Well done. In 94 Matt 95. Letizia. Yeah, 94 we... 95. He had a 19 15 season. Can we go. Um... Can we do an interview with someone really in the knowledge who can just talk about the weird turn Matt Letizia's life has taken where he's become this like conspiracy theorist. Oh no. Oh, like, like serious. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. Like, uh, he's the, I'm just asking questions guy, but he, but like, I'm like to some like crazy degrees, uh, um yeah it, it, he's he's absolutely a fascinating character he was you're right he does fly under the radar because he never left southampton he had the chances to go to chelsea etc um but yeah Letitia, but, but i don't care 
what anyone says. Nobody has a highlight reel. Well, not nobody, but very few have a highlight reel of, of amazing goals like Letizia. But back to Hazard. Um, yep. I wish that Roy Keane had been presented with those stats on uh, Stick to Football on the overlap this morning with Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher and Ian Wright and Jill Scott. Okay. Because he didn't he didn't put Hazard in that company. He and and I think it's wrong not to do that because I remember just from you alone being on the podcast regularly, you would say he's just brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. I was as obsessed with him as I could be a player on a team that I despised. He was one of those players who every time he was on the ball, if you were playing against him, no matter where he was on the field, you just kind of start turtling up. Oh God. Oh God. No, no, no. He, he was, he was sensational and he was unstoppable. Um, he could do more with his arse than most players could do with their actual feet. But he you know, it's so good. It, it's interesting though, because he probably, he probably wouldn't be a Roy Keane guy because there were elements of his work ethic like that, that would be stuff that would, that would, Roy Keane wouldn't be able to look past those kinds of things. Like I saw an interview with John Obi McKell where he was talking about Eden Hazard and talking about him, you know, my God, was he brilliant? Holy moly, what a player he was. But then he was asked about Eden Hazard at training and he kind of laughed. He's like, oh God, the worst. He yeah. would just kind of saunter around, walk. Other guys are, you know, these were some great Chelsea teams with great players. And they were, they treated those training sessions, you know, Mourinho era, like, you know, those training sessions were important and guys were battling and he's just sort of going through the motions. It drove guys crazy. But then the weekend rolled around and he's the best player in the league. He, there was a, among the stories I read today, he would play, um, he would be like playing Mario Kart, uh, you know, minutes, I guess on his phone. Unless they had like a full console in in the in the locker room at Stamford Bridge, like minutes before the game had started, and he'd go out and he'd be he'd be brilliant. Roy Keane's argument, Andrew, was not so much on he didn't make comment on like did did he work hard enough, whatever. He did make comment comment on him turning up in such terrible shape for his preseason, for his first season at Real Madrid. We all I, like I do think there was elements of that that were pretty unforgivable for a professional footballer, um, but. But Keane's main commentary was he did his peak wasn't long enough. And I would agree. I think I think if you're looking at his peak years, three, four years, five years pushing it where so, he was at. It, it's it's pretty much from I mean, I, I don't know what you consider from his time at Lille. I, I haven't really included that, although he was brilliant there. He um, was. But, but he started it, at 16 there. But if we're going to be Premier League centric. I think you could say his peak was probably 13, 14, yeah. up through 18, 19. Um, I think that during that run, he was he was sitting at the at the table with the top tier guys th- for those years. So I mean, but but the thing is, like mixed in among that, you had the 15, 16 season where he was he took the year off. I mean, he he, he played, but it was quiet quitting. It was a sabbatical. He was so bad. The year Chelsea finished 10th. 
um, you know, if you look through his stats, it's like all these years are like 12 goals, 14 goals, 16 goals. And then like you get to 15, 16, it's like four goals, three assists. I was like, oh, he must have been hurt. But no, he played the whole season, but he just took a year off. But it's funny, though, yeah. because but that's that's another part of kind of like the confusion over his legacy. It's like, oh, so, you know, he takes the year off. What is that? The, the best players don't do that. Consistency. Roy Keane is right. But you forget about this guy. He was by far, Jack Grealish included, the most fouled player I've ever seen. No one could, because no one could stop him. And so the only way you could was to kick the hell out of him. And Mourinho was quoted about him, about it. This was back in, after, um, I think it was after they played Tottenham in 2015, in that famous 5-3 game that Tottenham won. Um, And Mourinho was talking about it afterwards. And he says, the way match after match he, Hazard, is being punished by opponents and is not being protected by referees. Maybe one day we do not have Eden Hazard. It is one, two, three, four, five, ten fouls, aggressive fouls. They kick, they kick, they kick, and the kid is resisting because he is a fantastic kid, strong physically. He's very honest in the way he plays, but that is also another problem. I mean, that's the thing is like Hazard, he didn't shy away from any of it. He embraced contact. Uh he, he played, he, you know, he he was usually healthy. He played full seasons, but he was banged up because of the way other teams approached him. And so it, like in the moment, you see the 15-16 season and you're like, what's up with this guy? I thought he was the best player in the league. I guess not. But then you think, well, he's he's getting killed out there every game. He's the most fouled guy in the league every week. And so like, you start to see, okay, may, maybe there would be a season where where he would need to kind of like recharge a little bit. Um, yeah. So even, even that part of his legacy is complex. I remember you and I talking about off seasons. Well, this was an off year for him. He, he just wasn't bothered this year. Um, so the Athletic uh, in 2020, when we all had time to kind of ponder and consider these things, they did a, the Premier League top 60 and they had Eden Hazard in at number 16. Hmm. An appreciation of Hazard, they write, in the Premier League should probably start with his ankles. The medical staff at Chelsea used to shudder at the state of his of the joints post-match once the socks had been peeled off and the strappings discarded to reveal the cuts and bruises, the scuff marks and scars. The sight of him being flipped, tripped, flattened or barged over prompted the award of 638 fouls against opponents over his seven years in the English game, an average of one clattering every half an hour of game time or 26 touches of the ball. Plenty of other misdemeanors went unnoticed, unpunished, and remain uncharted. Yeah. Um, I think as well that the fact he's finished at 31 is incredibly sad because with sports science, with you see guys like Modric. I mean, Modric is going to play till he's 40, in his early 40s you, at some level. Um, you look at Ronaldo, you look at um, Messi albeit in, they're in the lower reaches of football now, of club football now. Um, like, it's a shame Hazard's out, but Hazard probably didn't do the the kind of gym work, the kind of kind of hardcore stuff needed to protect a player to keep his body going longer. And he started playing at 16. Yeah. The art, like, Rooney, Rooney finished at a... Nah, maybe Rooney a couple of years later, but... Um, it's it's hard when you start at at fifteen sixteen. It's so hard. It's just, yeah, saw, it's weird. I saw a kid come on in the USL at thirteen years of age. <laughs> I mean, that's craziness. It's disgusting. Yeah. Um, 
And I think at, at, at 16, it's, it's very, very tough and in a position where you're going to get kicked around as well. But, I mean, I think Hazard played a young Hazard crossed over with Joe Cole's loan spell at Lille. They would have played together. It gives you an idea how long he's playing, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I think his treatment, I think, I mean, the ankles as well. Jesus. Well, that was pretty much his undoing. I mean... At Real Madrid, he couldn't. He could not keep those ankles healthy. Um, what he he had ligament damage. He missed three months, I think, with the last one. It just anytime maybe he started to get going a little bit, something happened and those ankles gave way. You know, it's just tough to consider a guy like one of the legends of the game of this era who didn't have a good season after turning twenty eight. Like you're still twenty eight. You're still like deep in your prime. Yeah, and like he turned twenty eight in January, mid season, like never had a good, se- never was good again. No, and, you know, played four more seasons after that, and like that's that's a and weird. You see thing. the picture of him, an unused sub in a Champions League final, holding yeah. up his Champions League medal in Paris, like he didn't have it around his neck. He kind of just held it in his hand, kind of saying, "Yeah, I'm here, but right. I don't think this is this is really mine." Yeah. Um, in the end, his his accolades, two league titles with Chelsea and two uh, Europa League titles in that time as well. 110 goals and 92 assists in 352 appearances for Chelsea. Remember, too, I mean, we're talking all, all about his, his time with the club, with Chelsea, Madrid, Lille. Um, the 2018 World Cup, he was runner-up to Luka Modric for the golden ball of that tournament. So, he, you know, even in this era of, of Belgium's golden generation, he... He certainly, if if people want to say that they didn't live up to expectations, all right, maybe that's true, but he certainly had a moment there. Um, I, what I remember from the semi final in twenty eighteen, and I thought the Belgians were going to do it. I mean, it was only one nil, but I remember him kind of drifting out to the left hand side in that game, and kind of being nullified. Um, but he was absolutely brilliant against Brazil, wasn't he? If I remember mm-hmm. correctly, uh, in the quarter final. Like Hazard has had a great career. It's just in modern terms that the sudden fall off uh, is is dramatic, and the fact that they he didn't have even one good season at Madrid. No, one thing where you could where he showed his potential in Spain is is the disappointing part. No memorable moment after turning twenty eight, not one, and that's too young. So it's weird. It's 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 why it's complicated. Um, if I were to just name a few Chelsea players. You tell me, like in the Chelsea pantheon, it, where he is he above or below that guy? Um, and I'll stick to this era primarily. Okay. Uh, we'll start Lampard. He's below Lampard, obviously. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to set set that bar. Uh, Terry. Um. He's slightly below Terry. Hmm. But Terry's uh, beloved, man. I mean, where where to... was Terry on that list? You're talking. Do you have that list of the top sixty? I uh, bet Hazard is above him. I would say so, but I mean, Hazard's a far more skillful player. All right. Well, that counts. But, but, but Terry had a way longer career at Chelsea, a long, yeah. way longer association. Those things do play into people's minds. If you're asking me who's a better footballer, it's not even close. Who's a better footballer? Um, but they played in two separate positions. Drogba. Um, I mean, what Drogba did for their first European Cup final, 
Hazard can't touch that. No one will touch it. That's immortal stuff. Um, Zola. Better than Zola. Okay. But again, Zola beloved, but better than Zola. All right. All right. And Zola and Zola was brilliant for them. You're really yeah. killing me here. You're making this hard. And you're also oh, it's a testament. It's a testament to how good Chelsea were. But like um Zola came in. Zola was much older when he joined Chelsea. Zola was like 29, 28, 29 when he joined Chelsea. Um that that was the, the era the Premier League. People talk about retirement leagues. Premier League used to sign in the early years like players who'd already had big careers and were at the at least at the in the in the final phase of their careers from Serie A. That's how the Premier League operated. Right. Hollett, Gianfranco Zola, and that was Chelsea stock and trade. Gianluca Vialli, players like that. Um and Zola was incredibly good for Chelsea. One you know was part was instrumental in that team that won the UEFA Cup in 1998 for Chelsea. Um kind of heralded an a new a new Chelsea um, so I, I I'm loath to say it but like I think pound for pound uh, Hazard a better footballer but okay. I can't say that he would be more beloved amongst the Chelsea the Chelsea faithful last question so Go this on. one of my favorite things because it's so American uh, this <laughs> new Premier League Hall of Fame oh yes he gets in has to yeah I know he does I does it has to be you can't tell the story of the Premier League without without that guy. Um, best player on two title teams for Chelsea. Oh, he gets in. He does get in. Uh, and and, and there will be, if you want to say he was enig- enigmatic, he didn't train well. There was the story about how he would often do the warm-up and he wouldn't even have his laces tied. Kind of a He'd Premier League a- Iverson. Mm. Did he have as many demons as Iverson? I, I don't know. I can't. I don't it's, think it's, so. It's unbelievable, though, in, in the era of the modern athlete, the way we're just used to like these lean machines, particularly in soccer. His weight. Before he went to Madrid and he had his summer where he turned up like. I mean, was it? He was like significantly overweight. The Madrid doctors leaked it out and, and you could see it in the training. We never mentioned his weight before. Never. But like. Now, in, in, in the final analysis of a player of his quality, we're talking about how he was a bit chubby towards the end of his career. That's, yeah, I don't know. I was talking to uh, my friend Francie, who's a Chelsea fan, there on uh, Tuesday. And um, I mentioned it, you know, or whenever he announced it, was it Tuesday he announced the retirement? I think so. Mm-hmm. Wednesday, whatever. Yeah, whatever. And I... I um, I, I was, you know, talking to him about it and, you know, just held it. He held him in the absolute highest regard. And he said that he would have, I know hindsight's twenty twenty, and Real Madrid is still the peak, but that he should have stayed where he was. It was just a move. That was his dream though. Yeah. Now, I unfortunately that. he'll, he'll live with some regret because if that was his dream, he didn't treat it as such. Now with, with the being overweight part, the, I think some of the ankle injuries, I don't know if that's necessarily his fault. I think, like you said, the Chelsea doctors knew that there were, there were ankle issues there long before. And unfortunately he couldn't sustain it, but maybe that is part of the training. Maybe he, uh, maybe if he was carrying more weight, maybe that weekends, I don't know Uh, what the hell do I know about all of it? Um, But yeah, but I I hope. It makes me think, it made me think, you know, about, you know, about younger players now starting at 16, 17 thought about, our own boy wonder Evan Ferguson, maybe, you know, 
maybe for all the quality you get by starting a player from a younger age, um, maybe you're you're offsetting the back end a little bit. It's possible. Um, I would just say to close on for for the people who are gonna who can only think of him as the Real Madrid version, go on YouTube, find his Chelsea highlight reels, like remember this guy for the player that he was at his peak and not for the way that it ended in those last four seasons at Madrid. Cause he was just so good. Sometimes I, I find myself doing that with James Harden. Cause there's like certain Sixers games where I'm just like, what? Like this guy, like, I can't believe this is the same guy as like the 2016, 17 version. And you go on and watch like his rockets highlight reel. And you're like, Holy crap. Ha- I think ha- do that with hazard. Do yourself a favor pull up some YouTube clips because his goal against West Ham, uh, a couple of his goals against Liverpool that I'm sure you oh, remember. Yeah. Um, I mean, ridiculous stuff. What a player. What a great player. Now, the, the Chelsea posted a video of, of of goals on Instagram. Just look at that. Yeah. Uh, class. Absolutely yep. class. The West Ham one, the Liverpool one was in there. Uh, there was a goal against Man City. And then there was the goal against Arsenal where he holds off, I think it's El Neni, Coquelin. I can't remember which one of those Arsenal players it was, and he, he for the first 10, 15 yards, he's using his buttocks, and then he just bursts away, and it's it's just a brilliant goal. So, okay. yeah, it's sad to see him go far yeah. too soon. Yep. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do a, we've got a mailbag on the other side, and we'll do a little review of the Beckham doc. So if you've seen it already and you're curious for our thoughts, then uh, stay tuned. You're not going to want to miss that. More Caught Offside still to come. Oh! Now on caught offside, and very late. We're into Friday morning. I was going to say late Thursday night, but we're into early Friday morning because I made JJ wait until the Phillies game ended at around eleven twenty. Um, and so here we are. <laughs> yeah, my my Friday morning is absolutely wrecked. Get used Thanks. to it. This is going to be a long playoff run. We're only halfway uh, there. It's not fair. You have to pay me compensation for this. We're only halfway there. Oh my Christ! If it were the Mets, I would have done the same for you. You know that. You absolutely would not. I would have. I absolutely would have, because I root against them as though my team was playing. I'd be. I'd be just as into it as you were. Okay. Uh, JJ, the Beckham documentary. So yes. Now look, I know, I know how famous this guy is. Like he's he transcends. He's one of these athletes that transcends the sport that he plays. But I would say. It's been a while since he's kind of, like I know he's a, he's in the spotlight kind of because his his ownership stake with Enter Miami and Messi going there like so he's been back in the news a little bit of course recently, um, but I, I would say this documentary, for me at least, has served as an interesting reminder just as to the reach of that guy's fame because a lot of people that I know that are not soccer fans are are texting me or coming up to me at work. Do you see the Do you see the Beckham doc? A lot of people who have no real connection, who are not waking up on weekends to watch the sport, feel that this is must watch. And I think it speaks to even today that this guy just he's got clout. Yeah. And I think it's a it's an argument that could be made that he was he was obviously a talented footballer, but that his clout, his profile was way beyond the talent of his football, um, the way he looked. Uh, his style, the person he was married to, all those things, the people he was friends with, all those things kind of elevated him to a level that was probably even far exceeded the talent he had as a player, far exceeded his footballing career. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I won't say 
I won't say I didn't enjoy the documentary because I did. Like it was Beckham's career coincides with my peak years of intently watching the game. I so love like that. I rem- that that era is fun, is the best. It is. It really is. I mean, I, I will never probably enjoy the game on that level now again. Um, and I'll never pay just the kind of excited teenage attention that I did to it. So the nostalgia in this thing is real. And it's always nice to stroll down memory lane. Um, I don't think I learned anything new from it. Okay. Um, anything I didn't know. Genuinely no. Um, I think I had I had a couple of issues with the way uh, it was edited and put together. And things were definitely not the way I remember them. Um, so, for example, like the 99 season. Like, you know, he's so he's come back from from uh, France 98, getting sent off. And I remember him being exactly as he as he says it in the documentary, pilloried like it was the abuse was intense starting out in that away game at West Ham. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing pictures in the paper. I bought 442 magazine and they had a two page spread of that picture of him going to take the corner kick. And all you can see is contorted faces at uh, Upton Park, like screaming all sorts of things at him. And I, I remember the guy who hung the effigy outside of his own pub of Beckham. Remember that being in the paper too. I remember you could get a dartboard with Beckham's face on it. I remember Jeez. all of that. But the way the documentary spins it is that it affected him hugely on the field and he didn't really get going until he met Simeone in the quarterfinal and then he put in two crosses for Dwight York and they won 2-0. That is not the case. Beckham was outstanding that season from beginning to end. And that was the narrative of that season was, look how he has handled the pressure. Look how he's come back. He hasn't crumbled. He's been amazing. Now, I would never argue with the internal turmoil that he said he had, the death threats, Victoria, his wife spoke about all those things. Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to quibble with that. Mm. But, but him on the field, and then the way it was edited, so they were they were doing this kind of montage of an, of an, an internal turmoil, and like I lived that season, so I know chronologically where those games came, and they're supposed to be at the the end of the season. That was a crucial game that they lost. Paul in scored an um, Paul in scored a a um, a late winner, and and so uh, yeah, it was that that little kind of thing. Those things annoyed me. Um, the way the way they put that together, because he was. Let me tell you guys, he was, and the way I remember it, the way most people remember, he was absolutely class. I remember a free kick in the group stages of the Champions League against at home against Barcelona. He was really, really good. Um, I think I think the other issue I had as well. He's a tough interview because he can when he even when he's in a documentary mode, he's very much on, and he doesn't have great vocabulary. So he ends up talking in superlatives all the time. You know, it was my dream to play for. It was absolutely amazing. Like there's, there's, it's, oh, everything was a dream. Everything was amazing. I mean, Zizou coming up to me and saying, you know, will you play for Madrid? I was like, wow. wow, wow. But I was always going to play for Man United. I was like, were you? Didn't seem like it, you know? Um, And I don't know if it struck you, Andrew, but his international career, the one thing the documentary served to to kind of portray was in its omission, 
So what are the two things it talks about in his international career? Really, it shows in depth. It shows the sending off against Argentina in 98 and the second half of the World Cup qualifier against Greece in 2001 to get them to 2002. Mm-hmm. They do a little mon- a little quick show of his penalty against Argentina in in the World Cup in 2002. That's it. Yeah. And actually, if you analyze his football career, that is it. Euro 2000 was a disaster, didn't get out of the group. 2004 um, was, he. I mean, he missed crucial penalty against France. Um, uh, then there was the, they went out on penalties to Portugal. Um, 2006, out on penalties to Portugal. Very poor England, blah, blah, blah. Didn't qualify for 2008. And 2010, he did, he'd torn his Achilles and he didn't make it to the tournament. So, Rooney, Gerard, Lampard, all of them, like they did nothing really at the international level. I'm I'm going on here, so like stop me no. at any moment. Um the other thing was um uh who who's the director again, Andrew? Fisher Stevens. Mm-hmm. And he talks about, you know, how his dad was really tough uh, on him all the time. He wanted it better, he wanted it better, he wanted it better. And, you know, how his mum thought his dad was too tough. And, and Fisher, Fisher Stevens has this moment. Didn't you just want to, like, punch him in the face? Never. And he goes, no, because he would have punched me right back. I thought, Jesus, investigate that a bit. <laughs> Beckham grew up in the late 70s, early 80s, a time when children got knocked around the place. They, to hit your kid, a slap wasn't wasn't unusual, like... Dig into this stuff that his father did. You know, tell me like what how driven he was. I suppose the Guinness and the raw egg was interesting. Like a young kid drinking Guinness yeah. and a raw egg to bulk up. Um, and then his time in Mer- in America really annoyed me. Um, because everything this is such a positive portrayal of Beckham. You know, even the way they deal with his alleged affair, which they never say he never he never had. Yeah, I I have a list. When you're done, I have a list, and I'll mention that that one was on my, <laughs> my list. Yeah. Um, but his time in America annoyed me because there, it's it's like, oh, he, he, Pelo comes in and tells him if he wants to be playing for, uh, for England, you know, he has to be with a European club. And I'm sure Capello did say that, but that's not, that's not how it went down. McLaren, McLaren basically said he's not in the squad anymore because he's in, uh, the Los, he's in Los Angeles. And then he brings him back. Right at the end, he brings him into the squad, returns him to the squad for that game, that ill-fated game in Wembley against Croatia, where they had to win, and then they lost, and then they didn't go to Euro 2008. And Beckham was one of the few players on the night that actually acquitted himself well. And I thought it was interesting, there was that juxtaposition that uh, Beckham taking American money was the thing that was going was almost keeping him away from... Uh, the England team and English football taking an American money to have the Giants play the Bears the week before is what wrecked the field and definitely hampered England's uh, style of play that night. Although I uh. don't want to take Anthony away from Croatia, so there was there was those things. And um, what finished it like what finished David Beckham and made him stay in America was pairing his Achilles in Milan. Like he doesn't that's not mentioned at all. What? Oh come on! Like that's it's a big part of it. And I did like that Victoria really called him on his BS. Like, he was like, you know, I was committed to Los Angeles. No, 
No, and, and it reminds me they should have credited Grant Wall as well. Um, Grant Wall's book, mm-hmm. the the Beckham experiment. That's it was it unearthed it was, a lot of the dirty laundry. It was, and it was it was Landon Donovan's comfortability with Grant that made him say all the things about Beckham being welching on the check, Beckham earning all this money, and like being just being cheap on a night out, all that stuff. Um, they never mentioned Beckham. It's never allowed anything in that might disparage Beckham where you, you can't defend him or where he'd have to be, he'd have to defend himself is never allowed in. Like the World Cup in 2002 that he went to, that he was clearly not fit. All there was in the papers leading up to that World Cup was Beckham, his metatarsal. It was insane, Andrew. I can't tell you. That's all the conversation was in the English tabloids. How does that not get a mention? Doesn't get a mention at all because guess what? You'd have to show footage of him in the Brazil game pulling out of a tackle, like jumping out of a tackle that led to Brazil going down the field and scoring an equalizer because you'd have to show that stuff. So as much as this is good on one level, it's enjoyable, it's nostalgia. It is complete hagiography, which is basically a, if you don't, a, a very kind, uh, very kind and uh, sympathetic. More than that, a, a saintly retelling of his career. Anyway, that's me. So a lot of what you touched on, I, I have my list of things. You've hit on a few of them for sure. So I'll skip over some of those. Um, one thing I wanted to say about the the reaction to the red card that he received. Um, so I, I think he's kind of like, I don't know if anyone has ever gotten it that bad for something that that they've done internationally. Like it's not... Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say, you know, Escobar in '94. I mean, although I don't, I think the circumstances of that are a little bit different as to what the reasons were. But, but in terms of like fan outrage, Beckham, what he received is is kind of like the gold standard for it. And with Mm. that in mind, even after it happened, I found it really fascinating how he was kind of un unmoved from his desire to succeed for England after that. Like I would have thought, you know, okay, like you to be treated that way, death threats against your family, mm. uh, every can't really couldn't live his life because of this, this mistake that he made in, in a game. Um, like a lesser person might've just been like, F this. Yeah. I'm like, I don't need this. Uh, but it seemed like his resolve to succeed for England and essentially bring joy to all of those same people who did nothing but hate on him and ruin his life. Uh, they, all he wanted to do was make them happy. Uh, I, I thought that that was, uh, I don't know, to me, that said something about him in a, in a positive way. That, that he, I think so, too. He was pretty, do, pretty determined guy. I think throughout his career, he's shown this kind of... Um, almost over the top at times patriotism. I mean, we all remember him in the queue to go and pay his respects oh, to the for queen. For like 10 hours. Yeah. Nine, yeah. Now there's always been rumors how he's desired beyond anything else to have a knighthood, to be Sir David Beckham. That that's a huge thing that he wants. So maybe yeah. that's a whole part of it. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right, but I, I also think things got bad for him. It definitely did. But by the end of that season, 98, 99, things were great. Mm-hmm. things were great by his um, doing 
I mean, he played yeah, his but, way back into people's good graces, and that's why I—that's why I don't think the uh, the the documentary, the doc, obviously the documentary has been sold primarily, I would say, to Americans who may not remember that period, and they love the kind of the arc, the redemption arc. He was absolutely fantastic that whole season through. Um, no, he never stopped getting abuse from England fans. I remember when they went out in the group state when they lost three two to Portugal in Euro 2000, he's coming off the field and it's widely reported that um, there were fans in the stands singing about hoping his baby died. Right. Yeah. Mm. So, like... And he, and the, he never, I mean, it seemed like he never really reacted. Not really. Knows, I, think, I think he's a whole number of moments that he could have... I mean, the only moment, he, it seemed like, was in when he was in Los Angeles playing for the Galaxy. Whatever was said then, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And I mean, the fans had every right then. Whatever <laughs> the England fans were saying to him was depraved and wrong about his family. Whatever the LA fans were saying at the time uh, was completely correct. The guy was about as committed as as me or you to the yeah. LA Galaxy. Yeah. Um, a couple of the other things here. One that you touched on, but I did want to mention again. So like, he he pretty much, in not saying anything specifically, admitted to the affair. In Madrid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, that was my takeaway. Got through it. Never said Rebecca Luz's name. Um, because I think if he did, he would have opened up a can of worms again. Um, and if he had denied it, she would, there would have been journalists at her door uh, again. And then that would have raked it up. So they kind of, they gave it a really. Kind of just said know, it they, was, uh, he explained his circumstances in life in that moment. Um, yeah. And then he kind of just said, and it was a private matter. And then it's like, Oh, well, I, I was like waiting for the denial that didn't come. And usually there's a reason for that. Um, yeah. Let's see. I, you know, one, one scene that I thought was interesting that certainly portrayed him positively when Capello banned him essentially from playing for Real Madrid. And he just continued to train. He's just like, okay, well, fine, I'll still be here every day. You can watch me. And to the point where the players on the team were like, Fabio, you got to, you got to bring him back. He's got to play. Like, And and they did. I thought that was, thought that was cool. Again, yeah, like and, another and moment was, that kind of spoke to his, his character. I mean, he was never afraid of hard work um, because technically he was never the best player, but he had this one set of skills that were absolutely phenomenal, the best in the world. His ability to strike a ball, to curl across, to take a free kick. Um, and he was brilliant at the end of that season. And he was a crucial part of them staying at Madrid. But he football was in the was really in the rear view for him at that moment in time. It, to me, it was disappearing over the horizon. He's got some of the greatest players, players in the world telling him he should stay. And Fabio Capello asking him, do you not want to stay? And the option was there to stay. And he didn't. Right. To go to MLS... Um, and playing a league that clearly frustrated the life out of him. Now he made um, it seem like, whether or not he's telling the truth, who knows? But he made it seem like it was that was almost based out of some bitterness that he he couldn't quite forget that they banned him essentially from playing. Oh come on! Like, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I I don't buy that. I mean, that is part and parcel of the game. Like that happens to so many players. You know, I mean, yeah. Luis Suarez was literally banned from Liverpool training with the first team because because he had a, a, a hissy fit because 
they wouldn't sell him to Arsenal. Then he comes back as as a career season, one of the greatest seasons we've ever had in the Premier League. Yeah, like I don't, I I don't buy that. I really yeah, don't buy I, that. I think there was more that he wanted in in life that was more than just football. Exactly, uh, and I think he went to LA and then realized, oh, the England part's still really important. How do I do both? Yeah, he had um, a he had a Joe Bluth moment, as it's all transpiring in front of him. I, I think I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> made a huge mistake. Yeah, um, and 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 listen, uh, I guarantee you that that flashed across uh, Stephen Gerrard's eyes too when he went to Los oh, yeah. Angeles because he regularly talks how about how he wished he could have got at least one season with Jurgen Klopp, even if it was off the bench. I would have just loved to have played under him. So. And he torpedoed that opportunity mm. by by making an Im- impulsive decision to go to Los Angeles. Uh, just a couple other quick ones from this. Uh, one, I just found it personally hilarious, like how much he kind of like he had clearly no love for Carlos Quiroz. And so it was just hilarious to me that like right when he goes to Real Madrid, that guy follows him there as their manager. Like <laughs> that moment when he got that call of who his new manager was must have like his he must have just turned ghost white like instantaneously thought that was funny um in terms of the galaxy stuff boy you for i kind of forgot uh until they showed it again how atrociously bad they were and and it's not just like like people around the world must have watched the galaxy when he got there and been like oh mls what a joke no 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 by mls standards they were an embarrassment they were a horrible team didn't Uh, chivas hammer them like five or something yeah yeah like they were a terrible team. So you cannot almost understand his, I think I've made a huge mistake moment. Like when his mom was saying like, oh, David, this is, <laughs> what is this? Um, and the football lines on the field. Right. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. But look, they ended up, they they won. He, he got them to a place where they were the best team in the league. Um, but it was funny he, he how. Did, he did. He did. But I mean, the latter, the latter MLS cups were. I mean, Robbie Keane had a lot oh, to yeah, do Robbie with Robbie Keane was the best player on the team, but Beckham was yeah. certainly a, a huge part of it too. And Donovan, like they're, they were great. Yeah. I mean, they were a great MLS, uh, one of the all-time great MLS teams. Um, one other note on the on that stuff. I just couldn't help but think, so as that's playing out, Tim Lewicki and the Galaxy, what they invested and what, you know, everything they put into getting this guy who at this time is the biggest, one of the biggest stars on the planet to come to MLS and and do this thing that hadn't been done uh, and then just like a month in, he's he's wants to leave. And so I was thinking about that in the context of today, because Beckham now has an ownership stake in Inter-Miami and everything he just put into bringing Messi there. And like, well, I, I would like to know what Beckham would say if Messi came to him today. It was like, I, I got to go back. No, I'm sorry. No. Uh-uh. Like, It'd be it's... absolutely raging. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things, and of course, they didn't include it in, in the interview, but from the time was... Uh, and again, the man doesn't have, I think it's part of his charm. He has very little self-awareness um, with some of the things that he says. It's a great interview from Sports Center in like 2008, where he's in Milan wearing a the full Milan kit on the sideline of their training center, doing an interview with Sports Center, where he tells the presenter, I am absolutely committed to MLS as he's wearing a Milan kit as he's in Milan. Yeah. Uh, And then finally, my last one, which is kind of tangential to Beckham, but something that I just couldn't help but take away from this. JJ, it is just unbelievable to me that that Real Madrid team couldn't win 
the the part that really encapsulates that to me is when Beckham tells that story where they concede a goal and Ronaldo is laughing and Beckham's like, what's, what's he laughing at? What's he, what's so funny about this? And Ronaldo's like, don't worry, we're fine. And then sure enough, he goes and scores a couple goals in the documentary. They play that off as a really cool moment. Wow. Look how great this team is. They concede goals and they don't, they don't care because they know they're better than everyone. They're going to win anyway. And it's played off as like, this is cool. Look how good we are. But it's that same attitude that was probably their undoing. Like, that's probably like, that's probably at, at the heart of why that team couldn't achieve great things. Cause like that was the mentality there. I also think there were people forget that Real Madrid won, uh, you know, in 2000, they won the champions league in 98, uh, then they had the win against Valencia. What was it, two thousand and one? And then in our, or sorry, Valencia in two thousand, and then they won it in at Hampden Park against Bayer Leverkusen in two thousand and two. Right you before know, they, he got there, yeah. Right before they got there, they 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 had a pretty brilliant team, and they had done all those things. The idea that they were going to keep winning at that pelt was probably unrealistic. But I guess the fact that's that true. they only, the fact that they had only one league in his time there was kind of hilarious and it was the last one and it was the one where he was at his most fractured with the club. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So there you go. It was, it was a fun watch. It was four parts. If it was five, I would have kept going. I I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool at the end that they brought it all. I mean, they must've just, it goes right up through Messi signing with Inter Miami. It was, they must've been working hard to get all that stuff in there because it's a Beckham story is a hard one to tell without including that. Yeah. So it was I cool. Do, it was fun. They cr- they crushed a lot of stuff. I would have liked to heard more of in that, but like, look, I am increasingly realizing that some of these documentaries, they're not made for me. <laughs> they're made for just like a, an audience that maybe, you know, cert- a certain level, you don't have to dig too deep and, and, and that's okay. And, and and again, his career, there was a lot to cover. So maybe I'm being overly ambitious with how much I would have liked to have seen it. Uh, let's see. Before we close out, mini mailbag here. Not a huge one. Uh, I'll roll through some of this, JJ. So mm. uh, the other day I talked, I, I went on my rant about the Michael Harris catch for the Braves, which suddenly doesn't seem quite so dramatic or traumatic as it did a few days ago. But I said it was a moment that I'll never watch it again. It's it's an all-time moment, and I'll, I saw it once, and I'll never see it again. We had a great response to that. A lot of people weighing in with theirs. Uh, Risky Biscuit said, I will never watch the Van Dyke-Origi blooper over Pickford in the Merseyside Derby ever again. Like, WTF, how does that even happen? I'll never see it again. Freak. Such uh, a freak. Yeah. Uh, Don B. Wilson says, and you can relate to this one, the Henri Handball versus Ireland. Um, let's see. We had a bunch of non-soccer ones, too. Robert Ori's three against the Kings. Never again from Important Trouble 7180. Uh, Bassett up 40k. I will never watch Chris Jenkins three pointer to beat UNC. Yeah, it was a pretty good one. Um, let's see, me and NYC 2311. Uh, I've never rewatched Aaron Boone's Homer off Tim Wakefield, so got a good response to that. That was that was fun to go through some of those. Um, JJ, one of our listeners on Reddit posted, uh, that they're apparently staying in the same hotel as the U.S. men in Connecticut, I presume. Um, and he was able to uncover this because when he pulled up the Wi-Fi options, one of the choices was USMNT. And so people were trying to guess what the Wi-Fi password could be uh, for the U.S. men's national team Wi-Fi account. Ralph Knows says, uh, Ralph Knows is the one who said it. He said, any guesses on their Wi-Fi password? Casual fan uh, went with, it's called soccer. Uh, Rick Fencer, behind the back bounce pass, exclamation mark. Coy's Jake, Dosa Cero. 
I just I think maybe it's just uh, like a capital G like a hundred times. Yeah. It wasn't one of the options just USMNT in the screenshot. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. That's how he knew that they were there. Yeah, they 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 have no interest in any kind of subterfuge or any kind of uh, cover up. Nothing. Yeah. Uh let's see a couple others here. Uh BVB Spurs 34. He asks, um wondering uh Harry Kane wondering what he makes of Spurs' success and how it would be different if he was still with the team. Huh. This is a tough uh, question. It is because here, listen, Kane is such a quality striker. Uh, he's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant. So you're not, it's hard for me to imagine that Madison wouldn't be picking out passes for him and they wouldn't be scoring goals. Maybe it would look different. Maybe the way Ange would set up, it would look different. Maybe the press would look different. I don't know. I think if you assume if he's there, it means Sun is out on the left and Kane is in the middle and Richarlison is on the bench. I mean, it's a better, it's a better team. And you're right. The idea of Madison and Kane linking up together, I think they'd be pretty. I think they'd be great. I mean, look, you know what I think of that guy. You see what he's doing in Germany right now. There's he's he's one of the best in the world in terms yeah. of what he thinks of this. Well, that's a weird one. He will always say I, the right things. He will always think, be a Tottenham fan for life. But I bet if they go, let's say, let's just pretend for a sec that they go on and do this, that'd be. A, I think that would be quietly a hard thing for him to see. I think it will be crushing. Yeah. I think it would be crushing. He thought he was making the right decision. Most of the fan base thought he was making the right decision. Right. And then Ange comes in. Ange now look, I don't whole... think I don't think that's actually going to happen. But Jesus, the I mean the chances of them finishing third or fourth is very, very strong now. Um Yeah, that could, but I mean like winning trophy type stuff, whether it's you know, I don't know the FA Cup. I don't think I don't see that. What about happening. if they won? What if about if they won the um, what European competition are they in? <laughs> is this on? Is this to make fun of me? Is that what you're doing here? That's not fair. Um, but if they won, won a, I mean, what if they won the FA Cup? Yeah, I think that would be a hard. I I, 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 I think it'd be hard for him. I genuinely do. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Last one, JJ from uh, Perry FC twenty nine. Uh, assuming the next episode is dealing with internationals, I'd be curious if the boys are more surprised that Southgate continues to pick Maguire or Jordan Henderson. What do you think? Uh, for me, it's still, it's, it, 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 and I'm not like Maguire. He's, I mean, Maguire was bad against Scotland. His cameo came on, kicked the ball into his own net. I get it. Not getting any really minutes for United. Um, but he's still in the Premier League. Jordan Henderson is in a, a, like a, whatever you want to call that league, that's where it's it's more surprising to me. Call it what it is. <laughs> yeah, he's in the Saudi league. It's yeah. more surprising to me that Jordan Henderson is in the squad. To be perfectly honest with you, I think I agree, but not necessarily for your reason. And they've got and they've got better options now than Jordan Henderson. In that's that's why. Like if you look at McGuire, okay. So here's the other center backs. If I'm missing someone, tell me. But uh, Stones, Gahey, Dunk, Tamori. I guess Walker could be Colwell, Ben White, Mings is injured. Like, so, I mean, Stones is great. Gahey is pretty good, but like Lewis Dunk is pretty good. Tamori's pretty, but there's not like. Dunk's miles ahead of him. Right yeah, now. I know. They're better than him. Of course, they're they're all better than him. But yeah. it's, but like, look at the midfield Bellingham, Madison, Grealish, Rice. 
you know, then you know, do you consider Saka midfield? I don't know. As a um, Mount Connor Gallagher, Sully March, even like there's so many, there, there's a lot more really quality midfielders. I think right now well, in, his, in his position, it's, it's, uh, or in the way he plays, it's Rice and Bellingham. So he's not, he's not better than either of those. No. Um, so yeah, for me, it's still Jordan Henderson. And Henderson is just like last week coming out with his tweet saying he, he hasn't been asked or he isn't compelled to check anything for the Saudi, for the Saudi, uh, FA or the Saudi government, but tweeting about, uh, the 2030 World Cup. Let's go Saudi or whatever. Just had enough of that guy. Probably part of his deal. Um, yeah. Last thing on this, Maguire, he gave an interview and the the standout quote from it was when he said, my record under this manager, Ten Hag, speaks for itself. I haven't started as many games as I like for United, but my win percentage when I've played is ridiculously high. A lot of people laughed at that. In fairness, the numbers do back that up. Um, 35 games played. 27 of them won. He's got a 77 win percentage. Next closest is Lissandro Martinez at 65% win percentage. Mm. Um, now, United fans may say, well, watch the tape. Like some of this might, some of it may be winning in spite of him. Um, I don't know. But if we're going just the bare bones facts here, he is, he's right. When he plays a lot, they a lot of the time, they, they do win. So. It's a, it's a, it's remarkable though how he's been treated. Um, it's a it's a long time since I've seen it, like a top level footballer, universally hated, booed booed by England fans, booed by United fans during preseason. I don't um, fully understand to this day why United they were going to get what a little over thirty million from West Ham for him. Mm. I still don't quite understand why they pulled out of that. And, and wanted him back at United. There was an issue that United couldn't, there was some kind of payment he was owed and they wouldn't pay it. I don't know. We'll see. It sounds like, I mean, it sounds like in January he might he might push to go. Because Ten Hag's not, it's just not going to happen for him. He's not going to play in no. this club. A lot no, of injuries no would have to happen for him to get a chance. So there you go, JJ. Wow, that that actually wound up being a lot longer than I think either of us thought it was going to be. It did. We talked way too much about the U.S. men's national team. Way too much. But we did a nice piece on Hazard. Very pleased with our piece on Beckham. I'm just happy with the podcast. Well, that's good. I'm happy that you're happy. Um, hey, that's all I got. We'll uh, we'll be back sometime early next week. Hard to know. We'll see. We'll take a look at the Phillies. And I'll see oh, yeah, we, we look at we look at whatever schedule Andrew has, and you know, screw JJ and his sleep patterns. You're up now anyway. Come on. I got I I I have to sleep now. You're you're a maniac. I should have made you record in the morning. I That's way about... worse. The oh, 5 a.m. recordings who? are way worse. Way worse for who? Don't Everyone. Be for us, for the listeners. No one wants that. No. All right. Well, I let's resent go. you very strongly let's, right now. Let's go. Let me let you get to bed while I edit this. Uh JJ, I enjoy this immensely. Oh, you hear that a little jabbing while I edit. Good, good. Edit it while you regale yourself with Philly victory. I will. I DVR the post game show on TBS, so I'm going to go oh. watch that while I edit. Hey, JJ, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 